0: is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the
1: Alaska Airlines Studio, streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com.
0: Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob
1: Stelton. We've been taking a look around the draft, looking at some of the prospects that have been named in some of these mock drafts we've been looking at, and generally, it feels like, Dave, the majority of the high-end talent comes from a couple of schools. Yeah. Most of the time, it's Georgia and Alabama in LSU. It seems like those three are just, uh, you know, feeding ground for the NFL. And we get a chance to talk with a man who's got a very close eye on everything happening at Alabama here to talk about who may be coming out, who can have an impact at the next level is a man who played for Alabama, fourth round pick of the Panthers. He is now part of the uh, Crimson Tide Radio Network, their sideline reporter. Christian Miller is with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. How are you, man?
2: Doing well, guys. How
1: are you? Yeah, you know he's a good man, Bob, because he played linebacker. Oh, he's a, okay. he's an ex linebacker. <laughs> that That's All right. My, right. My, yeah, my co a little biased, in case you couldn't tell with that comment. <laughs> but uh, hey, Christian, it feels like every year we're we're talking about the number of players that come out of this school and that school, and I think Georgia has led the pack the the past couple of years with you know thirteen one year and fourteen. How many? How many are expected to be? functioning at the next level. I won't say draft because often guys will get drafted late. Maybe they don't make it. But how many would you say from this year's squad would would be on a roster when the season starts from Alabama?
2: You know, guys, it's tough to say a specific number, but I, I would guess probably in the double digits. Um, that's kind of a, a pattern we're seeing. You know, you allude to, you know, Georgia's and Alabama's. Um, that's kind of what you're expecting out of these programs. You know, they're funneling guys into the league and, and some guys – um, don't even go drafted, but end up making a roster. And, and most likely that's because they're, they're at a, a rich program with a lot of talent. They might not necessarily have seen the field as much as you might have expected, but they're still great players with a lot of potential and they end up getting to the next level and they just need that opportunity and they end up shining and making the most of it. So I would say double digit guys if I had to get. And uh, I'm, I'm proud to say that as, you know, a former member of Alabama, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of, of my alma mater and I love that we can continue this tradition.
0: Christian tell us a little bit about we you know we have Brock Heward here at the station and he he does college football all the time and he said whenever he covered the SEC um it was like it's just a different level like as opposed to the other conferences maybe not ACC but like you know Pac 12 that it's it's almost like like it's it's football's a religion in Alabama but also just that the guys that that come there it's almost like they got drafted by a pro team like it it's a huge deal to play Alabama football right
2: yeah it really is and and you know down south you know football is a huge thing you know uh, you said it, you know, we eat, sleep, and breathe football. And that's the same for these programs, you know, these big-time programs, these SEC programs. And the slogan is, uh, it just means more. And, and that, that rings true. You know, when you play in the SEC, uh, the competition is the highest possible. You know, the guys are bigger, faster, stronger. And obviously, I'm being partial and biased. But I truly believe that, you know, going and playing against the Georgias, the LSU, the Auburns, um, you know, on a consistent basis, you're playing against top talent. You know, you're playing against... Top NFL prospects, and not just on game days, but on weekdays in practice. I mean, a place like Alabama and Georgia—they're playing against those the, the, the best of the best of uh, college football players in the country. So, um, you know, I, I do believe that, and I'm a little biased, but um, it really does just mean a little bit more um, in the SEC.
1: Hey, Christian, before we get into some of the specific players from this year's group, I'm, I'm curious your your take on the the NIL situation and how much that that may impact kids deciding to stay moving forward I mean uh, some kids we've heard can make a pretty nice living at the college level and <laughs> maybe there's you know they're more at, they're more apt to develop their skills while making a good chunk of change so do you, do you see a a big change coming in, in in the way that you know we'd see a lot of kids leaving early and maybe that doesn't happen as often or what kind of impact do you think the Nil situation has?
2: Well, I think it has a great impact and and largely due to the fact that it's become the the issue I have with it is I'm all for players being compensated. You know, um, we don't have the time to to work jobs and and we have these busy schedules and and, and we do a lot for the university. So I'm all for being able to use your name, image, and likeness. Um, I'm just more of a proponent for it being used once you're in the program. You know, once you make a name for yourself on the field, once you get out in that community, um, I'm against using it as a recruiting tactic because I feel like that's um, where we need to draw the line. It's, uh, I'm all for parity and equality amongst these programs, and, and a lot of programs aren't able to keep up. And um, using it for recruiting, I just feel like, you know, there needs to be some type of legislation, some constraints with that. Um But I'm all for guys being able to capitalize on it because you never know who's going to actually be able to go and play at the next level. And if these guys are able to have the right resources and, and funnel that money into, you know, a nice investment account, get some index funds, a Roth IRA, they're, they're set up. Um, for their post-football career if they're not able to play at next level. So I think there's a lot of positives in it, but there's also some cons that need to be cleaned up in order for everything to run smoothly.
0: That's interesting. I uh, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I I tend to agree with you there. Hey, okay, so let's get into a Christian. Um, you know, based on whatever mock draft you look at, sometimes you see Will Anderson, uh, the the linebacker uh, from Alabama, as uh, really an edge rusher. He's the number one pick. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at Bucky Brooks. Uh, tell us a little bit about Will Anderson and just what what he can bring.
2: I love Will, and no, I've gotten to know him. Um, He's been on campus. As a matter of fact, I met him actually when he came on a visit uh, to Alabama. I was in town um, either training during the offseason or preparing for the draft. I can't remember what year it was, but I, I met him while he still was in high school. And he blew me away when I first met him. He was always a mature guy, um, you know, wise beyond his years, very humble kid. And um, you know, that, that's who he is off the field. He's a great guy, a respectable guy. Um, he was raised the right way, but on the field, I mean you look at him i mean the tape uh tells itself you know you look at him he's a hard nosed physical football player, a real old school type of player that you don't see as much anymore. You know a lot of guys like to be finesse nowadays. This guy does not run away from contact. he puts his nose in everything he's got that perfect blend of size and speed um he's probably about six four and some change, probably two hundred and forty five plus pounds, but you know he's strong but fast he's athletic enough to bend the edge. Um, you know, he's stout and disruptive against the run. He can run all the stunts you need him to run, but he can do a good job setting the edge, shedding blocks, being physical. Um, but I'll be honest, guys, you know, as a pass rusher myself, um, uh, Will's just scratching the surface with his pass rush ability. And I know that might sound crazy because you look at the numbers that he puts up, but if you watch his technique, and he'll be the first one to tell you, um, he's still learning the art of pass rush. He still has um a number of moves that he can add to his, his pass rush arsenal um, uh, and, and some more counter moves, you know, but setting it up better. And uh, I think that's just a testament to that. Whoever drafts a guy is getting a guy um, who not only has the potential to grow, but he wants to grow. He wants to be the best that he can be. I mean, he eats, sleeps and breathes football. That's all he cares about. The only thing that he does outside of football really is uh, he likes to fish and I, I do myself. So we've had plenty of conversations <laughs> about fishing. Um So that's a fun fact about him. He's a big outdoors guy. But other than football, you might catch him fishing a little bit. But realistically, man, he's in the weight room. He's watching film. He loves the game. He's a great leader. And uh, whoever drafts him, again, a very special guy.
0: Well, we can we can fix him up easily up here, right, Bob? The fishing <laughs> up here in Seattle—that's yeah. the rumor. We've There's got a we got an outdoor oh, yeah. line show on the weekend.
1: So yeah,
2: definitely. There you go.
1: Hey, uh, before I ask you about Bryce Young, are there any other uh, defensive linemen, rushers outside of what you were just talking about? Just that—that's a pressing need for the Seahawks. Their their pass rush was non-existent. The D line was just not good. The linebackers—they need some depth. They—they they need help kind of everywhere defensively. So, who else? Who's maybe not being talked about out of Alabama is maybe one of the top guys that maybe we should have
2: an eye on. You know, I really like Byron Young. You know, he, he worked number 47 just like I wore 47. But if you're looking for an interior guy that has pass rush ability, um, Byron Young is a guy that's not spoken about enough. You know, he's a very technical guy. You know, he's got great measurables. Um, but but even more impressive, he's, he has great hand usage. Um, you, if you go back and watch his game against Ole Miss, I mean, he had a huge breakout game, was so disruptive all over the place. I mean, he could have been credited for probably four sacks. Uh, I think the quarterback made it back to the line of scrimmage a couple of times. But, I mean, a very humble guy, great leader. Um, you know, I, I think Byron Young, if you're looking for an interior guy who's kind of flying under the radar, uh, I think he's definitely a name to keep an eye on. He can play the run well. He's disruptive um, against the run and pass rush. Um, and so I, I, I would like to say Byron Young.
0: Tell us about uh, Bryce Young. And now he is on the Dr. Pepper commercials. Is that right? I, be, I believe, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and right. he does a nice job
2: on other ones too. <laughs> yeah, he,
0: he does. He does a really good, yeah, great job. And uh, but, uh, yeah, tell us about uh, about him and again. Depending on who you're looking at, a lot of people have him going number one.
2: They do, and rightfully so, guys. I mean, you, you know, anybody that's watched Bryce can can tell that he's, you know, just impressive. You know, he's so talented. But um, when you break him down, guys, you look at him. Stands out is his extreme poise and confidence. You know, he's just so calm, cool, and collected back there. Really, really similar to another guy from Alabama, Jalen Hurts, um, in terms of just his composure in the pocket. Um, but then you just watch him throw the ball, it's effortless. Uh, he's got that pinpoint accuracy. Um, this guy is a student of the game. You know, you've heard recently where they'll come in on a Sunday. But you don't even have to be in there Sunday other than, you know, we do a stretch and stride and a quick little workout. There's no meetings, but Bryce is up there watching film. Bryce is up there breaking down the game and, and offering his input and insight onto what could have gone better and what they could add moving into the weeks forward. And the coaches are taking that into consideration. That, to me, is a testament of how trusted he is and how much of a student of the game he is. And, and then you just watch him, man. He, he's like a magician out there. He eludes pressure. He improvises as good as anyone. He makes things happen out of thin air. He's You know, he's – man, he reminds me of a mini Patrick Mahomes. I, I shouldn't say mini, but, I mean, he is a little bit smaller. You know, he's probably going to – probably gonna I don't say probably be just shy of 5'11". Um, but I think the biggest knock right now is is just his stature. You know, he's a little more on the thin side in terms of his frame. But um, but here's the thing: you can't add height, but you can add weight. I had to add weight when I got to college. I put on 40 plus pounds uh, once I got to Alabama. Bryce is still a young guy, maybe 21 years old. He's going to grow and develop. You know, you put a little bit of weight on him, that's not going to be a concern. And to anybody concerned about his size, I'll say this: he did it at the highest level in the SEC. He won a Heisman at that that height and weight. He, he's been a national championship to that height and weight. And really, the only injury he's really seen was that shoulder injury, that AC joint. Look how fast he came back from that and played at a high level after that and was still durable, taking big hits, taking shots on that shoulder, and played through it in the SEC, which is known to be fast and physical and the top talent. So I can't say enough about Bryce Young. I think he's going to have a phenomenal NFL career, and whoever gets him is, is going to get a great leader and a great playmaker on offense.
1: Yeah, and you, you just hit on what I wanted to ask you about, and that was his stature. I was reading a quote from uh, ESPN's Todd McShay. said he revealed that Young's official height has been measured at 5'10 half and I, I saw a list he was listed at 6 feet. I guess he's officially 5'10 Uh But McShay said, mm-hmm. quote, if I'm a GM, I'm scared to death of drafting him because of his stature. He's under 200 pounds. He's shorter. He would be the shortest guy the you know he would be one of the shortest starting quarterbacks coming out next season we we went through that here in Seattle Christian with Russell Wilson when he was great it was no big deal when he struggled it was because he was too short so i mean it's it's very very convenient how that comes into play but do you, do you look at that as an impediment i know you you talked about him gaining weight and any you know most guys could do that what about the height, though? Is is he a guy that can play in the pocket, or is he going to be a guy that's going to need to roll out, sort of like Russell, you know, get out of the pocket to see what's happening down the field? Drew Brees, same thing. We've seen guys do it. Kyler Murray. What, what are your feelings about him as a pocket passer versus a guy on the move?
2: You know, I think he's going to be just fine doing either or whatever he needs to do to be successful. You know, I, I heard the Todd McShay quote, and my argument to that is, You know, he's done it at Alabama, one of the best programs in the country, if not the best, going against the top talent year in and year out. And his height didn't affect him, nor did his weight. You know, again, this guy um, has been extremely durable. And so that, to me, answers those questions. Now, this would be different if we're breaking down a a high school recruit who hasn't played in the SEC or won a Heisman Trophy. I could understand you, you know, being a little dubious of, of his stature. But the thing is, He's proved it week in and week out uh, in the SEC. And to me, that that's enough proof. That's all I need. Now, I, I get, you know, that there, there could be concerns if you're a GM, but it's like Coach Saban always told us, you know, and during the draft process, these scouts and coaches, they're looking for butts, right? They're not going to look for ands. They're going to say, well, he's a Heisman Trophy winner, and they're looking for butts. That way they, don't, they can get you at a lower rate or a lower value. So they're going to say, you know, yeah, he's a Heisman trophy winner, but he's five ten and a half, and a half. He only weighs 190 pounds. Can he hold up? And those answers are, are already there on the tape. You know, he, he's done it at a high level and he, he's been healthy doing it. So I, I, I just don't think it's that, you know, uh, critical in terms of him being that high. I know we would love it if he was 6'3", 6'4", 200 plus pounds. But the fact of the matter is he's not. But does that, you know, make him any less of a football player? Absolutely not. I, I think he'll be just fine at the next level.
0: Uh, Christian Miller, you played uh, you played linebacker for four years uh, at Alabama, played for Nick Saban. Tell us a little bit about Nick Saban and the, the kind of coach that he is. Obviously, really admire that he's able to do it year after year after year, but uh, just tell us uh, about your experiences with him.
2: You know, it was a great experience. He, he taught me uh, so much on the field but also off the field. I mean, every meeting you have – when he's speaking, you know, he's dropping little nuggets of knowledge that you can take along with you in life. You know, there's so many things that I've learned that I apply in my daily life now. Um, But in terms of him as a football coach, what stands out is just his commitment to excellence. His commitment to excellence. He doesn't let, you know, any detail go unnoticed. You know, he focuses and harps on every single detail, whether that's having your shoes tied the right way, wearing the right attire. You know, he always uh, emphasizes don't practice until you uh, you do it right, practice, until you can't get it wrong. You know, he's all about the little details in every single thing that you do, and I think that's why we see that sustained success with him because he, he holds everybody accountable from uh, the training staff to the equipment staff, the players, the coaches, every single person involved that has a hand in that organization is held accountable and held to the same standard. Um, so he's a phenomenal leader, a phenomenal coach, and it's been an honor um, to play for him and not only learn the things I've learned as a football player, but also as a man. Hey
0: Christian, uh, and one last thing uh, from me. Now, this is just sort of rumor, but you hear uh, that. And again, Brock, Brock Hewitt, our guy here that's at the station. He he probably gossips too much, but uh, but he talks about how you know I mentioned the SEC and how like at Alabama, it's a huge deal. Uh, so that the players there are more likely to play hurt, and they're more likely to, you know, maybe take a shot, things like that, and, you know, there was a, a, you know, kind of a thing, some momentum going that, oh, the the players that come out of Alabama or SEC are a little bit more beat up because they'll do anything to get on the field. Dispel that rumor. Or confirm it. (laughs)
2: Well, well, I, I'll I'll say this, you know, I mean, playing in the SEC is tough. I mean, it, uh, to me, it's the most physical conference in college football. So you're going to deal with injuries, you're going to deal with pains, um, but that's part of the game. That's something you sign up for uh, when you when you play the sport of football, or really on any level. And uh, it's just one of those things that, yeah, you know, we we would do everything we could to get back out there. I tore my biceps my junior year supposed to be out for the season and I rehabbed my tail off to get back out there and was able to play the last few games. We ended up winning the National Championship that year and I don't regret it for the world because that, that was honestly one of the most memorable seasons even though I missed countless number of games with the injury, So I I, I hear those rumors about that, and and I will say, yeah, there's probably some truth that we are a little beat up because, you know, we're going against the best of the best, and it's a physical conference. But I don't think that takes away from anybody because I think there's just as many guys out there that played in the SEC or Alabama that are having long, prolonged, you know, careers um, at at the next level. Um, And you're going to have, you know, a couple guys that, you know, deal with injuries, and it might, you know, hinder them. But for the most part, guys are pretty healthy and are having success at the National Football League.
1: Does it make you nuts, Christian, to hear people talking about Georgia are the new big big man on campus? They're the the new uh, standard, oh, and Alabama man. is now trailing them.
2: <laughs> yeah, look, you know, it, it, it's tough to hear, but look, you got to give credit where credits due. You know, georgia they back-to-back national championships. Kirby Smart is doing a phenomenal job over there, and and right now they they are the reigning champs. So I give them that. But in order to catch up with Alabama, guys, I mean, we're talking about prolonged success, sustained success. I mean, we're we're talking about six national, six, seven national championships in the past, what, 10, 15 years or whatever the number is. And I lost countless so many. So uh, it's tough to hear, guys. But I look, I'll I have to give my credit where it's due. I give all respect to Kirby Smart and Georgia. They're, they're playing great football right now. But don't count uh, my Alabama Crimson Tide out. Trust me, we, we're not done just yet.
1: I don't think anybody's foolish enough to count out Alabama when it comes no. to college football. That's, <laughs> that's not that's not smart. Christian Miller, part of the Crimson Tide Radio Network, has been our guest here with Wyman and Bob. Christian, pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for taking time with us.
2: Thanks, guys. It's been great. I appreciate you all. Have a good one. You,
1: you too. too. There you go. Christian Miller, former player. He was a fourth-round pick of the Panthers, and now he's uh, their sideline reporter on the uh, Crimson Tide Radio Network, giving some insight. Yeah, Bryce Young. You know the the lot of the mock drafts have him going number one. I think in that Mel Kiper one that just came out that I was telling you about, he's got him going number one with uh, the Houston Texans trading up into that spot to get him with the Chicago Bears, according to his mock draft. But yeah, I saw that quote from McShay saying he's officially five ten and a half, and then I looked at another spot listed him at six feet tall. Well, it's funny how um, when you get in. When I went to the
0: combine, I mean, I've been six two my whole life, and uh, they told me I was six one and fifteen sixteenths. Okay, way off. Yeah. So they're just uh, they're very particular about that that part of it. But yeah, I, you know that's that's something I don't think is ever going to go away. But you know, on the other end of the spectrum, and this is what's interesting. I remember Sean um, Salisbury talking about this. Our, our buddy Sean. You can be too tall, too. I mean, there's kind of a range in there, but I don't know, man. I, I just, you know, Russell Wilson, and what was he listed at? 5'10 and 5'8. Five 5'10 five, and 5'8? Yeah. He's 5'10. Probably. Yeah. I mean, he's... he's- you know, and then and you're right. I mean, that's remember the one year Russell all of a sudden became too short, and then Pete Carroll became too old. And
1: yeah, you know, when when they struggle, when you, these things are liabilities, and yeah. when they when they're succeeding, it's all nonsense. And
0: yeah, it's very convenient how that works. Out. Well, and I mean, especially for Russ. I mean, after a while, like you you have the numbers to support that. So how tell me how he was getting it done during, especially that that one streak that he had in 2016 where he, he was like 83. Three percent for five games uh, every ball he threw to Doug Baldwin was caught or something like that so yeah how do you explain that thing and so I yeah I just I think that comes a lot of times from not necessarily the teams themselves mm-hmm. it
1: comes from people in the media uh, you guys can text in whenever you'd like eight six six nine seven nine three seven seven six. Powered by Mac and Jacks Brewing Company. I, I love the disparity in, in opinions on things. And uh, oh, the- you're not talking about our crazy textures. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, the you four- know why, Bob? Four two five. They're all on the weed. Are they on the weed? Is that what's going on? No, it's not Friday yet. We'll start that up later. <laughs> they uh, they only smoke on Fridays. Uh, <laughs> four two five said. This guy's a joke. I understand hyping up your guys, but Alabama-slash-SEC football is not the NFL. Followed by, this is a damn good interview from Car- <laughs> Carter in Tacoma. <laughs> well, thanks, Carter. Jeez. <laughs> it just reminds me of uh, the one we had, what, last week, when everybody loved Schneider. Well, that's great. John is great. And then we had the one guy who said terrible interview you didn't ask about Gino didn't ask about the draft week or whatever they said yeah and we're like yeah we just can't really ask those things uh, and we did ask the week before too those very questions but yeah it's it's uh, I always love when you when you get them back to back like that and they're just absolutely opposite. So whatever your opinion is fine eight six six nine seven nine three seven seven six powered by Mac and Jacks Brewing Company. Coming up, we're seeing more and more that the NFL highly values Geno Smith. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on seven ten. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up at 5 o'clock, El Hombre. Michael Bradley joins us as he does every Tuesday at 5 with Wyman and Bob. Seattle Sports on 710. Our thanks to Christian Miller, who joined us in the previous segment, giving us some insight into what's uh, what's coming out of Alabama this year and who we should be keeping an eye on. So we'll see what goes on there. But uh, there's everybody's evaluating. There's different lists. There's mock drafts. There's free agent lists. And there's a new free agent list that came out of the um, – uh, NFL.com one hundred and one top NFL free agents. Greg Rosenthal. Greg Rosenthal. Why one hundred and one? I don't know. Just to get Do somebody they to click on it. Usually in the in the beginning they'll give you an explanation. But um, just scrolling down the list, just looking at pressing needs and, and one need that's that's more. I don't know if it's more urgent because uh, Austin Blythe retired. I don't know if the Seahawks were bringing him back or not. We, we you and I disagreed on. How good he was or wasn't last year. I didn't think he was great. I didn't think he was brutal. I just didn't think he. I thought at times a liability. Didn't know if they were going to bring him back or not. He was a free agent. He's elected to retire, and he had, he had talked about retirement prior to this this last season. So not not the biggest surprise. So I don't again not knowing what the Seahawks intentions were. Maybe they were going to be on the lookout for a center anyway, and maybe they thought all right we, we need more beef up there or we want something different in that spot. Now where do they get it? They, we've had a couple people texting in saying they go draft, do they go free agent? I think they'll do both. I think the free agent list, I'm just looking at this list, Dave. The The top center listed is Kelsey, who's 35 years old, and in the little description talks about him either re-signing with the Eagles or retiring. So he doesn't appear to be an option, and even if he was, it'd be a short-term one. Um, you know who the next center on the list is? Ethan Posick. Yep. Number 65. <laughs> he's the next highest rated center on He there. had a good year in Cleveland,
0: apparently. You know, I was, uh, listened to, I think it was Baldy, uh, was breaking him down on the uh, NFL. And then you know, obviously haven't paid a lot of attention. We didn't play the Browns this year, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's kind of interesting. And he's a big dude. If you remember that about him, I mean he's he's a lot bigger, and I, I would say you know right now the Seahawks are looking at Kyle Fuller, mm-hmm. and then the other guy I've seen around is Joey Hunt, and I love Joey Hunt to death. He's the smartest linebacker or uh, offensive lineman in the league probably, but he's, he's a little undersized, very undersized. So and you know I hope he makes it and everything, but yeah, that's uh, that's kind of interesting. The the other thing that stood out to me is that Gino is now at number two. So, I mean, and this is Greg Rosenthal, and, you know, they rely on him pretty heavily. I think he's more of a, a numbers nerd type of guy, but, you know, he's got, if he is, he's that's why he's got Geno up there, because of his completion percentage, and, you know, just what what he was able to get done last year. But did it, did it all of a sudden go, oh, wait a minute, you know, because I... We talked about this extensively that do other teams really value okay. Geno the way that the Seahawks do? I mean, they know his story here and where he came from and how they invested in him and all that, but other teams may not know that. Now, not so much. You know, maybe, maybe we're underestimating his appeal outside. Cause we've, if you go and, you know, listen to the NFL network, mostly they're talking about Derek Carr. And Derek, you know Derek Carr is, is listed pretty high, um, but you know as far as uh, you know evaluating quarterbacks, but um, but yeah, I mean all of
1: a sudden you see Gino at number two, it's kind of intriguing. Yeah, I don't know if that changes the opinion of the teams. I mean that's Greg's opinion on on who he thinks the best guys are. I, I still have not heard Gino's name whispered whispered about with any other team. Whether it's you know it, unless you want to. Talk about the worry that, you know, because Dave Canales left that he was going to go to Tampa Bay. And then we had somebody text in earlier in the show that said, Gino to Tampa Bay, book it. Okay, we'll see. Yeah. I I haven't heard a rumor about it other than worry, other than people going, oh, does that mean he's going to follow him there? But in terms of, hey, the the thought is and we already know about Derek Carr. He's had interviews with the Saints and the Jets. Uh, He's going to talk to more teams at the Combine. Uh, all the all of the other quarterbacks that are available, you've heard about you know potential landing spots. It doesn't mean that's where they end up, but you've at least heard their name in connection with a couple of teams. You know whether it's Garoppolo, whether it's Carr, what have you. It's uh, even Lamar Jackson we've heard about. Justin Fields we've heard about, and he's not even a free agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gino's a free agent, and I have. And maybe I've missed it. Maybe that maybe there's been. An article or whispers about the team being interested in him, but to this point, I haven't seen it. Well, and you're you're talking about the same type of guys as this guy, right? I mean, we're not, we're not talking about
0: necessarily teams aren't going to come out and say anything. So yeah, we hear from Greg Rosenthal
1: like we hear from anybody else that's evaluating uh, the the free agent market. So well, but, no, I'm talking more about like the Schefters and Albert Breer and those guys that have their sources and so sort of, you know my sources are saying this team is interested in this guy and. You know, it's it, it's it's a little different avenue, I guess, than just you know Mel Kiper or Greg Rosenthal are those that you know evaluate as versus- opposed to Greg Rosenthal, huh? As opposed to
0: Greg Rosenthal, yeah, that's what I just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he's got his, he's got his sources and, you know, he's probably, you know, I know the NFL values him anyway, but I mean, in the end, we really, we really don't know. I mean, it's not until you hear the teams actually talk about it. You know, these are all a bunch of media guys, but yeah, it just brought that to mind that maybe that is the possibility. I'm not saying he is all of a sudden important to everybody, but Gino, I mean, I hadn't heard that much and I just have assumed, and maybe that's just my fault, but I've assumed that the Seahawks are going to be able to see the value in this guy uh, much more than any other team other than Tampa Bay. Now you know because they have Dave Canales, so of course that connection. The other one you know we've talked a little bit about is uh, is Scott Fitter in Carolina because mm-hmm. you know he he knows him as well, and I think that does come into it quite a bit. You know whether or not you are a draft guru or what, but if you know a guy, I think that that's you, you kind of know what to expect because that's the that's really especially a quarterback that's the biggest part. I mean, how is this guy going to fit into your team? How is he going to you know be uh, be as far as a leader and things like that is he going to get a um, a room on the second floor no i'm just kidding uh but you know that to to me how is he going to behave what is he going to what is he going to you know bring to your team
1: yeah no I, I think you're right i think that's huge having a knowledge, especially with a player like Gino that's got a story that was written for almost a decade and then he had this one year so to everybody else obviously they're familiar with him but to know him the way Canalis knows him the way Fitterer knows him that's different, and everybody else is looking from the outside, going, "Well, huh? I don't. I don't. Is that real? Is that is that fool's gold? Is it going to be this guy moving forward? What's it going to be? You know, what kind of work ethic does he have? What's his What's he like off the field? Obviously, we heard about you know things that weren't that great off the field prior to the season. I don't. Is that going to be a topic that comes up in the in their evaluation of mm-hmm. him? I, I don't know. I, I don't know, you know. Fitterer and and Canales know that side of it better than anybody. So that familiarity, I would think, if another door is going to open, would certainly open with with those guys. That whole thing sure went
0: away, you know. As far as the the trouble <clears> they got into at the end of the 2021 season. So yeah, that's because that, that's that's part of it, you know. Is uh, what what kind of guy are you getting? So
1: well, I think it's yet to be. Uh, what's the word? Adjudicated, adjudicated, maybe. Yeah, I think when we were talking to Brady about it, I think it's been pushed back or delayed or whatever. I don't think it's been, I don't think it's been figured out. Is the way it it's been, you know, they've come to some conclusion on it. I don't know what's going to happen, but it, it sounded like it was being pushed back. So well, maybe that's part of their. I w- I, I would assume if you're a you're a. You're the Panthers, or you're any other team that needs a quarterback, and you're looking at them. You have to take that into consideration. All right, are we looking at a suspension? Are we looking at uh, you know what? What are the details of this? Yeah, you absolutely want to know where, where that stands. Yeah, and that
0: has, like I said, it's just kind of disappeared as far as talk goes. But uh, but yeah, I know. I don't know. I just uh, I was listening to Bob Condota today with uh, Bump and Stacy, and he was saying, you know,
1: they could do something like uh, draft a quarterback with the number five pick after they've signed Geno. You know? Yeah. So, well, You and I talked about that. That's kind yeah. of a great scenario that they in a perfect world, if they had a conviction about one of these quarterbacks, they draft them. And they, but there's no urgency to put them out there and just throw them into the deep end because you've got Gino. Maybe you sign him to a two year deal or a two, three year deal, two years in an option. I don't know. They do something right. fairly short term where they say, we're going to let this kid, whoever it is sit there, learn, be in meetings, go through training camp, go through OTAs, everything, and then when this deal's up, he's going to be ready to go.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny when they talk about that. I, I would be okay with, okay, they're going to sign Drew, or I'm sorry, um, they're going to sign, yeah, uh, Drew, but not Gino, and then go ahead and draft a quarterback. You know, Drew Locke, to me, I feel like there's still maybe a mystery there that they could turn him into something, but... I, I would say if they do what Condota was saying, I would probably be disappointed and just wonder. Although you because know, because they didn't go defense with that, pick. yeah, exactly. But you know, you get uh, the the other thing too is it takes a while to develop a younger guy. What kind of you know contract are you signing Drew Luck Lock to, and uh, you know. How does that match up with Pete's contract? I mean, we don't know that he's not going to continue coaching, but his contract is through 2025. So you got, you know, a a few years here, but yeah, just uh, how that would play out. I guess I would be, I would be
1: disappointed if they didn't go defense there. All right, coming up, uh, a reminder, I should say, don't forget tonight you can join Stacy Ross and Mike Lefko for a special one-hour show from 6 to 7 p.m. live from Media Row at the 88th Annual Sports Star of the Year Awards. show will be streamed live on seattlesports.com and will include special guests from the Seattle sports community. Uh, coming up, what does Manny Machado's new deal mean for the rest of baseball? We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up at five o'clock, El Hombre, Michael Bradley joins us on the program as he does every Tuesday with Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports on 710. Meanwhile, this, uh, this small market team, the San Diego Padres, they're this little team that could, Dave. They're spending truckloads of money. They've they've signed Manny Machado to an 11 year, 350 million dollar extension to stay in San Diego, and the owner has come out and said that they were now going to focus on Juan Soto and getting him locked up to in probably even bigger deal, being that he's what 24, 23, uh, and they they, my goodness. You know, you, you look at every everything they've got there. They bring in, you know, the big shortstop. They signed to tease to a huge deal. They've they've spent a ton of money. And he's somebody that the other owners are getting a little uptight with, along with the owner of the Mets. And, hey, you're making us look bad and all of that. To me, this is, I don't know. Do you look at this as a bad thing for baseball when you've got these owners that are that are doing this? Because you've got other owners that have the financial capability to do that. They just elect not to.
0: Yeah, I I'm not hap, I'm not mad at them if uh, if I'm a player, that's for sure. Or a and fan. Yeah, I mean you you see that hey they're they're trying to get it done that way. So, you know, everybody has a different way of you know, and like like we were just talking about this with the Seahawks, whatever they, you know, whenever they approach something, the draft is only half of it. And then, you know, free agency is the other half or picking up guys off of waivers that somehow you're betting on, whatever. But, uh, you know, I think, uh, the, the Padres maybe for some of the teams. And I, you know, I was talking to Ryan Roland Smith yesterday about it and he's kind of, he was kind of in your camp that, you know, he felt like he, they, they could have spent some more, more money and, you know, gone a little bit deeper into free agency. But man, you you're
1: talking about them. the Mariners or just, or, or yeah, the Mariners. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, they're not, I'm not even just isolating. I'm the, when it comes to lack of spending, I'm looking at the Orioles. I'm looking at the A's. I'm looking at the Pirates. Looking at Tampa. Tampa's done a nice job of being competitive with a low payroll. I'm not sure how long they can continue to do it or pull that off, but. Yeah. What do you think the reason is for not having a spending floor? Because, you know, we, we talk
0: about Major League Baseball being very. Regional, you know, we'll, we'll ask El Hombre about that. I know he's, he, he's big on that, that, you know, any kind of a, uh, you know, if you had, I don't know, I, I feel like it would make everybody much more competitive, but does it necessarily going to make uh, Major League Baseball more money? You know, it when all of the, you know, seemingly anyway, is that it's a lot of it has to do with, you know, just it's very regional. That, like, you know, if you're in San Diego or Southern
1: California, you're rooting for the Padres. You're not mm-hmm. if you're in Minnesota or Nebraska. Right. I, th- I think the more, <clears throat> the more parody there is, and we've seen it in the NFL, the more parody there is or the more opportunity there is for a team that you look at and go, oh, they're going to be garbage. They're the, they're, they're, they're the Pirates. They're the this team. They're the that team. Yeah. I think if there's a floor, it removes some of that. Not all of it, because there's still going to be the big, big spenders. Not everybody has the same bank account. But by and large, you're dealing with billionaires across the board. You're not dealing with a multimillionaire. These are billionaires. Now, some of them are making financial decision decisions. This is what I'm going to invest in. This is how much I'm going to put into my product. What's frustrating about it is is not that they're not all spending the same amount. Is that some of these teams, and more often it's teams like the A's, teams like the Pirates, that are taking this taking money from the big league clubs, from teams that are paying into that competitive balance tax, and they're not reinvesting it in their product. They're making profits off their T V deals, they're getting money coming in from their own you know, whatever whatever they do in way of attendance, in the way of concessions, in the way of merchandise, and they're getting money that's coming from the teams that are spending money. Yet they're not reinvesting it. They're pocketing that money. Yeah, I'm I'm I'll be curious to see if they do make some kind of a, a change
0: at some point. But yeah, you look at uh, you know the the Mets and actually the the Padres according to the spot Track list I'm looking at anyway. Two hundred and twenty three million they've spent. The Mets of course three thirty six. But you know, you go down to the bottom and look at the A's, it really does look like they're just not trying. Forty million there, uh fifty million, you mentioned Baltimore, then Pittsburgh, then Tampa. Tampa You know, kind of surprising to me, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's the part of it. I think that that's kind of frustrating. And I'm sure their fans love it there, but you know, we'll see if, you know, the mixture. And I know there's a lot of GMs and both, you know, all sports that, you know, they think that it's you're better off with homegrown. Players, you know, mm-hmm. guys that you draft, you develop, and that, you know, that, uh, you don't typically build a championship team by going and get a, getting a bunch of free agents. But, you know, if you get the right ones in the right spot, you know, then, but it seems like with, uh, with the Padres, you know, getting Soto and, you know, they had Tatis and then they get Machado and, you know, they've, uh, they've, they've added some pretty big time
1: power, uh, players there. Yeah, yeah, they they spent a lot of money, and their owner in that article I sent to you it was pretty good. It was he was pretty just matter of fact, like, hey, I'm, you know, this is for the fans, and the, and the they talk the guy that wrote the article is just talking about yeah, they're investing, and maybe technically they don't make money, but this is about building the expectation of the fan base, the the fan. You know, they talked about how the base has grown mm-hmm. in the past couple of years since he started spending this money. They've got more revenue coming in. The attendance is up, which obviously means parking and concessions and merchandise and all. It's just kind of a. It all goes together. It's so, working. Yeah, and and yep. that's how the owner sees it. Like he's like, hey, I'm. A, I owe it to these these fans that are investing their time and their money to give them something that's worth investing in. And it's working there, and I would I would assume it'd be like that in most areas. I, you know, if, if people are in a position financially to go to a game, they're going to go do it for a team that they think's got a chance. Versus going to a terrible stadium with an Oakland A's team that doesn't appear to be trying. Same with the Pirates, who seem like they're a farm team for every other team in the, in the league, because anybody that becomes good or becomes uh, you know a player in a position to make a lot of money seems to move on.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I have no reason to not root for the Padres and just, you know, the article that, uh, that, you know, you sent out, it just made you like him. And if you're one of his, uh, one of his fans, one of the Padres fans there, you're, you're loving it. Yeah. You're loving what he's getting done there. Yeah. It's, it doesn't make any sense to me though, that the, uh, the owners that are complaining about other owners, you know, spending too much money, there is a competitive, competitive, you know, the uh, tax balance and everything. But still, I just, that seems very weak to me. Like if I'm the San Diego Padre owner, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying. Yeah. What,
1: what about you? Yeah, what are you doing, Oakland? What yeah. are you doing? What are you doing out there in, in Pittsburgh? What's going on there? Oh, you're pocketing all this money that's coming your way. Okay, that's good. Well, you know, you can you can buy another jet or you can buy another home. How about you? How about you? You bring in a player that might get the fan base excited. There you go. Which in turn will generate more revenue. It's a weird thing. All right, coming up, the start of the combine has led to a lot of movement around the NFL, including one move that greatly impacts the Seahawks. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten.